Well, there's not much these days that push us to search for the sacred. We're pushed to advance in the secular world. You know, the secular is not necessarily a bad word because there's things of culture that are beneficial and good. But the sacred is that which is timeless. The sacred is that which is transcendent. The sacred is that which is beyond ourselves. It is the most, the most important part of our experience as human beings, as people with souls. And we don't get much of a push that way, do we? We don't get much of an emphasis in that. We, we kind of have to position ourselves, and that's what Sunday morning church is about. One of them, one of the reasons you're here is to position yourself to search for the sacred so that our lives are not minimized to just material world. Such a, such a small way to live. And here we are, we discover this ancient text, the scriptures that direct us to this active and alive God. And so, as Beth mentioned, Epiphany, as we as a church, we're kind of learning the church calendar. And it's not something we have to observe from the Bible. That's why a lot of us haven't. And most of my church experience, I have not. But it's a good way to continue to organize our hearts as we seek the presence of God. That's what we're doing, is we're seeking the presence of God. And in this, this time of, of the year where we're full of resolutions, read more, make more, lose more, all of these, the majority of them is all about the secular, the physical even. And sometimes we don't look at that sacred, that which is, that which is timeless. We, we have something that nothing that our legislators do can touch. That's the sacred. You have a gift that your employer are the people that you serve in commerce. They cannot affect the sacred. It's yours. Given to you by grace. Purchased by Jesus Christ. And, and so we turn our hearts to God. And I'm going to talk to you today about just turning your heart towards the Lord. The title of this talk today is, How Can I Repay the Lord? It's going to take us a few minutes to get to the heart of that title. But I want us to look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40, I'm looking forward to kind of talking to you through this text. Talking through this to you, through this. Psalm 40, starting with verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. How, how happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. I want to stop there. We'll talk about this scripture more as, as, as God continues to reveal. Now, being stuck is one of the worst feelings ever. I started thinking of stories about when I had been stuck, and there have been a lot of them. 
And I couldn't remember over the last nine years how many of those stories I had told in sermons before. I remember telling a story about getting stuck in the doghouse and showing you that picture. That was one of your favorites. I remember telling a story about getting stuck with my high school buddies at a campsite, not listening to my dad's warnings. And next thing we know, we got this brand new Jeep Cherokee stuck in the mud. That wasn't fun either. Um, there's story after story after story. In my academic career, there's also been some times I've just been stuck. That, that's a bad feeling, especially if you're taking a test. If you're taking a test and you're like, I do not know the answer to this test. I do not know that. So uh, that gives you the desire for preparation so you don't get stuck again. I remember here in, in recent years, in the last three or four years, that there was a time I had an assignment that was due Sunday night, and I'm, I'm trying, trying to get everything done on Saturday because I'm kind of busy on Sundays. I don't know if y'all knew that, but I'm trying to get everything done, and I'd organize my time, and I'm ready to, I'm ready to do the assignment, and I realize I do not have the right textbook. Now, not having the right textbooks is a problem because the particular assignment is asking for a specific page number. So I sat there, and I, I, it was just the worst feeling because this was, this was going to really affect my future. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and, and I'm like, Lord, I just don't know what to do. And I tried everything I could think of. I, I tried to call Vol State. They had a textbook, and they're like, they didn't. I tried to call a couple of other colleges. I tried to, I got a hold of um, the local branch of the university I was working with, and they didn't have it. And, and I was going through all of the different things, different, different, what can I do, what can I do? And I finally, in desperation, contacted another student, another colleague, and asked, is there any way you can help me? And this person went to their office and copied, uh, scanned the pages of the textbook, and emailed it to me and got me unstuck. <laughs> I was so grateful, so grateful. And, and I'm just telling you that story because maybe it's going to provoke a time that you've been stuck. And you should remember, it's the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling. And relief from that being stuck is so liberating. And it's just so helpful. And I want you to look at verse 2 again. Because here it is. I waited patient, Verse 1 said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me out, he brought me up from a des desolate pit out of the muddy clay, and he set my feet on a rock. Think about this word picture. That God took you out of this pit where you're slipping and there's no physical way out of it. And then he put your feet on something that's solid. Some of you may be in that pit today. I mean, you feel stuck in a situation you feel like you're in a situation where there is no way out. You feel like you're in a predicament that you have no ability to change yourself. And the Lord is saying that, cry out to the Lord in your day of trouble. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. And our God will come and rescue you. Psalm 40, I want to talk to you about my story and Really, when I say my story, this is our first point today. It's really our story, okay? Psalm 40 is our story. We were in the pit. We, we were in a place of helplessness. We were in a place where we couldn't help ourselves. And God rescued us. 
Now, immediately, we begin to think about some of the stories that just thrill us about the rescue of God. Uh, and, and I'm going to talk about a couple of these stories. And, and the, these stories of rescue, often the church celebrates the spectacular stories of rescue. And, and I know some of you have these stories, so I don't want to belittle your story at all. But stories of, of people who were dealing drugs and they were, um, they were running gangs on the south side of Los Angeles. And um, they, they were uh, billionaires and, and had everything they wanted. And then they repented and came to Jesus. And it's a spectacular story, isn't it? And thank God for those type of stories. I grew up in an environment where all the time these Incredible stories were coming. In fact, the church I grew up in, it was, it was a great church, but back in the 80s, it was one of those churches that had whatever the latest thing was. So if whoever the popular speaker was, whoever had the spectacular story, they'd come in and they'd tell these stories and, and um, they would draw a big crowd and we would be encouraged by our faith. But they never talked about the ordinary people. All right? I mean, what about those of us who have just been living for God for a lot of years? And I got saved at the age of five. And I got baptized at five. And then I went through an era of rebellion that I don't talk about a lot in fourth and fifth grade. And I had a really bad attitude. My teacher sent some notes home to my mom. And then in sixth grade, I met two youth pastors, my football coach and my junior high youth pastor, and God changed my life. I got filled with the Holy Spirit in seventh grade, called to the ministry in eighth grade. In my ninth grade, I started going around. I was preaching at places and doing that kind of stuff. So what's my story then? It sounds like a pretty charmed life, doesn't it? Sounds like a pretty easy life, or at least a, a life of of uh, companionship with the Lord. It's a beautiful story. It's a story we don't celebrate. So what's my pit? All right. When I read Psalm 40, what's my story? Okay, my story is this. My story is my whole life, and especially since junior high, I've had expectations put upon me to have it together. And you know what? I like those expectations. Because in my church and at my school and on my teams and among people, the people look to me as a leader and as someone who had it together. And the problem with this is when it came to my morality, people like the idea that Aaron Allison doesn't mess up or doesn't sin or doesn't do anything wrong. And I like um, living that image, image out. Guys, I've been in the pit too. And see, my pit has often been that I'm living for the Lord to maintain my reputation, but I secretly wish that, that, I, that I could do my own thing. And my, my pit is, is living for the Lord to maintain a reputation um, but not living for the Lord with my heart. And I've been a, what we call a Pharisee at different times, judging others, using religion for my benefit, using my speaking skills to gain acclaim and popularity. Um, 
And I've done a lot of stupid stuff in my life. Sorry for you kids. I, said, I know it's a bad word you're not supposed to use. But uh, I've done a lot of dumb things in my life. I've done a lot of things that have, have put everything I built my life um, in jeopardy. Now, what are those things? What are those? You want to come have a microphone and share your things? Yeah. And, and God's forgiven them. God's forgiven them. But I, what I want you to hear today is when we read Psalm 40, verse 2, and it says, it says that you can put it back up to help me here. It says, God, you lifted me. You brought me up from a desolate pit. You brought me out of the muddy clay. You set my feet on a secure rock. This message is not just for those who were addicted to drugs or to, to the poor in the third world. This message was not for those who didn't have moral training and so they, got, they, they became promiscuous too young. This message is not for those who were under the influence of other religions. This message is for God's people, even if you've grown up in the house of God. Even if you gave your life to God as a child, even if you gave your life to God as, as a small one, and, and you've never had long periods of, of rebellion, listen, in our hearts, in our attitudes, without the Lord, we would be in the pit of self-righteousness, the pit of pharisaical living. We, we would be in the pit of inauthentic projection. And so what happens is Sunday after Sunday, and 242 group after 242 group. And the different retreat experiences we have. God brings us out of the pit again. And he sets our feet on solid ground. He sets our feet on solid ground. And this is what he does, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Now look at this. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Your story impacts the people in your life. And that's why I'm calling you to be people who attend and people who invite. Invite people to this great story we're a part of. That's why I'll be meeting with leaders tomorrow night who want to help me launch Alpha. And then next Monday night, the 23rd, we'll have our first Alpha session because we want to cast that net on the other side. We want, to, we want more people to hear this message. This is many hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus and the revelation of salvation. This psalm was sung. And the psalm said, God brought me out of the pit. He put my feet on a solid rock. And because of the new song and the vitality I have through God, many will see and put their trust in the Lord. There's going to come a day where we're going to see many, many conversions. We're going to see God change our friends, change our families, change our community, change our very nation itself because that's what the power of the gospel does. God lifts us out of the miry pit over and over and over again and he brings solidity to our life how happy look at verse 4 how happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies this part of the scripture really spoke to me in preparation especially Wednesday morning 
I'm going to tell you, God loves you so much that the Holy Spirit touched me Wednesday morning with these scriptures because he knew you needed to hear them right now. And here's, here's what it is. You will not be happy running after the lie. It's a lie when you build your life with significance over materialism. It's a lie when you attach your emotional happiness to a sports team. Guys, I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about this idolatry. It's a lie when you degrade your physical body and believe that you would be happier if you were skinnier or stronger or more attractive. This is the lie that is causing us to be discontent with who we are and what God has given us. But happy is the man who's put their trust in the Lord. Happy is the man who's not turned to the proud. Happy is the man who doesn't pursue the lies. God has put the new song in our hearts. Lord, my God, verse 5, you have done many things. Your wonderful works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. Verse 6. We'll stop there. Verse 5. I want you now to turn to Psalm 116. I have not even got to the heart of my sermon, huh? Now I want to talk to you about the second point today. If you remember, I've told you my story, but it's not to talk about me. I told you my story because I want, to think, I want you to think about your story. Who would you be without God? Where would you be without God? Would you be hungover this morning because you filled your life with the significance that you have to have some type of uh, alcohol or drugs to give you a good time the night before? Would, would you be in bed this morning because you'd be addicted to sleeping pills in an unproductive way? Where would you be this morning? Would you be separated from your kids? Where would you be this morning? Would you still be married? Where would you be this morning? I mean, without the Lord, what kind of pit would you be in? What kind of pit, would you, what kind of person would you be? We have to reflect on these things, not in a self-punishing kind of, kind of, um, a way to stay negative, but so we can remember the salvation of God, remember the deliverance of God, remember the power of God. So we're not just stewards of religion. Guys, you're not just people here consuming the message and consuming the music and putting in your time. You're the saints of God. You're redeemed of God. You are a people with a story. We have a story. I didn't see Chris in here He's probably working. I see his family there. I think about Chris Taylor. He's not here now. He's one of our politicians, and he's a, he's a police officer. And Chris told me that when he was in his 20s or 30s, maybe early 30s, that he took time in his office, and he went through experiencing God. And the presence of God met Chris in that office. Where would Noah and Rachel and Janiah be today, or Neliana be today? If Chris hadn't done that, where would Lori be today, right? Right? Where, where would we be without the Lord? Where, where would we be without God? This is, this is what God's showing us today. 
So now let's talk about our response. This is my story, but now here's my response. And we go now to Psalm 116. This is a scripture that the Lord gave to me last year. And that's why I'm so excited to share it with you today. I love the Lord because he, he heard my appeal for mercy. Listen, didn't say, I love the Lord because I'm scared of going to hell. Didn't say, I love the Lord because I want to get a leadership position in the church. Doesn't say I love the Lord because the Chamber of Commerce likes uh, little the fish ethos on my business cards and it helps me get more insurance sales or more car sales or whatever. No, I love the Lord because He has heard my appeal for mercy. Do you remember Psalm 40? I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord and He heard me. He lifted me out of the pit. And now the psalmist is saying, this is the song somebody sang. He heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me. I will call out to him as long as I live. The ropes of death were around me. And the torments of Sheol, which is one of the names for what we call hell, overcame me. Sheol is this unknown place. It's just a place that's unknown. I encountered trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of Yahweh. Yahweh saved me. And I want you to hear that both in, in Psalm 40 and now here we see in verse 4 of Psalms 116, there's a desperation for God. There's a humility that causes us to cry out for God. And suburban people don't have much humility. I talk to missionaries and I'll say, oh, it's so incredible that, that, that you're, you're serving on a mountaintop in Laos. <laughs> there's no clean water and you're up there with your family in Laos, or I'll talk to another missionary, and it's like, I can't believe that you're, you're living in Cairo, and you're traveling to all these cities, or you're living on the verge of Somalia, and often they respond, I couldn't do what you do. Now, I don't say that. This is not for self-promotion self, um, here at all. Please hear my heart. I'm saying that our missionaries realize that we as a people, and I'm one of you, as suburban people, we have great obstacles for God. We have options. We have things to do this afternoon. And I don't want to belittle our culture because I love our culture and I'm called to our culture. And you get that. I mean, I'm not here to make you feel bad about who you are. I'm letting you be aware of the weaknesses that accompany the strengths that we have. And there's a desperation. I call out to God. That's why the church in America today that's really growing when you look into those numbers of converts is the immigrant population. It's the people who need jobs. It's the people who need green card extensions. It's the people who need housing and they're desperate for God. And listen, we're not real desperate for God because we have a self-sufficiency that can take us away from God if we're not careful. And so that's why I'm calling you to search for the sacred. Search for the things of God. Search for that which is special. Search for that make, that makes a difference. So I call the name of Yahweh. Yahweh saved me. And here's our God, verse 5. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is compassionate. The Lord guards the inexperienced. How I many know that's a praise God for that scripture right there? Going on, I was helpless 
and he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to me. For the Lord rescued me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I said I'm severely afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. Then verse 11, verse 12. Now here, here's, here's the heart of my scripture here. How can I repay the Lord for all the good he's done for me? Can we repay God for taking us out of that pit? We can't. We're people of grace, and so we know that this salvation that gives us access to eternity with God doesn't come through effort, and it doesn't come through good works. It only comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his substitutionary work on the cross. And he took his sins upon us. He sacrificed for us. So how can we repay that? We can't repay it. But this is what the psalmist said, and this is what's impacting me right now. I will take the cup of salvation... And worship the Lord. And I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. There's no way we can repay the Lord. But I'm going to be a person and we're going to be a family that worships God. We're not going to sit out. We're not going to sleep in. We're not going to Leave the place of worship in the house of God. And we're not going to buy into the lie that salvation is individual. We've adopted language from um, our American experience that is somewhat helpful and somewhat restrictive. The phrase personal Savior is nowhere in the Bible. And yes, while conversion is individual and it happens in individual hearts god didn't convert you to be a lone ranger christian god converted you to adopt you in the family of god there's a family there's a church there's a gathering and because of what god did to me i'm not going to avoid worship anymore i'm going to take the cup of salvation and that scripture there that that verse the, the last verse put that last slide back up there and verse 14 this is just speaking If it doesn't speak to you today, if this doesn't speak to you today, that's okay. Come back next week and try it again, all right? But for Aaron, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will be a man who worships, a man who serves, a man who gives, not because I'm trying to earn salvation, not because I'm trying to be accepted into the the social status of the church, not because I'm trying to earn a leadership position. I'm going to do what God's called me to do because I cannot repay the Lord. I can't repay the Lord for what he's done. He's done great and mighty things for me. Here's the last thing I want to say today. It's the last point. Talk about my sovereign. My sovereign. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. And that's Jesus. How many know that words don't adequately describe Jesus? And so I wrestled with this point. 
Is Jesus my mentor? Is Jesus my hero? Yeah. Is Jesus my example? Yeah. He's all those things. And this word is incomplete too. But he's my sovereign too. Meaning that all my, I, I, all my worship is to him. And he, he controls me. My sovereign controls me. I live for the will of my God. I live for the will of my Lord. I want us to close this message by reading John chapter 1 and reading the story of John the Baptist. It says, The next day John saw coming towards him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified. I watched the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he, the spirit, rested on him, Jesus. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see, the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the son of God. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? That's a question I ask you today. What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and you'll see. And he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. So there's some questions in there. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Jesus says, come and see. And then you'll say, we have found the Holy One, the Anointed One. So I feel a little bit like John the Baptist. A lot of times preachers say, I'm John, I'm the John the Baptist anointing. That means I just want to be mean and make people mad. I'm going to come get in your face and be wild and woolly. But in the spirit of John the Baptist, um, this is what I say to you. I say what the scripture says and you can here is the Lamb of God. Here is the Lamb of God. Here is the Lamb of God. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? The conviction of the Holy Spirit is not always the most pleasant thing at first, but it's always the best thing for us, isn't it? 
is what I, I speak to you as a witness today. As one who has been in the pit more often than I want you to know. But because of Jesus this day, my feet are on a solid ground. If God could do it for me, he can do it for you. For those of you who are struggling because your story isn't spectacular, it's not marketable, it's not reproducible, the Lord wants you to know that your story is precious to him. And he never wants you to doubt it from this point forward. He never wants you to doubt You're going to stand before God and your story is going to be precious to God. Precious to the Lord. It's going to be everything God wants it to be.